Let me start by posing a question. Do you ever think that the world will end? Do you ever think that life as we know it will one day wind up and be complete? The idea isn't foreign to our culture. I mean, if Hollywood is to be believed, anything from alien invasion to cataclysmic climate change or even global pandemic might just be the end of us. And occasionally, scientific research suggests that Hollywood notions aren't that unbelievable. Only recently, we've had people like Sir David Attenborough and Bob Geldof recently pleading with humanity to recognize the danger of world food shortages or climate change and with the hope that we might listen and, well, change. Uh, virologists insist that we're just one mutation away from a strain of flu and a pandemic that will wipe out millions. And while some people in this world are willing to acknowledge and tip the hat and say, yes, you know, something like that could happen, the reality is that most people respond in disbelief. And interestingly, many people resort to outright mockery. They laugh off these claims as being alarmist, ridiculous even. So Bob Geldof, for example, recently predicted that due to world food shortages, humanity might be only 17 years from a mass extinction event, he said. The BBC ran an article on this, uh, this prediction, if you like, that he gave at a, uh, a youth summit in South Africa, and they absolutely went to town on him. They completely ignored the main subject that he was talking about and instead just worked their way around to saying, why is it that stupid people keep making bold predictions about the end of the world? They said he might as well have walked on stage wearing a sandwich board saying the end is nigh. But here's why people find it so ridiculous. Naturalism is the order of the day in our culture. The laws of nature are fixed. The sun came up this morning just like it has done for thousands of years. The sun's going to set tonight just as it has done for thousands of years. And guess what? It's going to come up in the morning again just like it has done for thousands of years. So please, comes the appeal, stop with the scaremongering. Actually, you know, to be honest, it just makes you look a little bit weird. But what do you think? As people scoff and mock, what do you think? Do you think that the world will end? Maybe you're here tonight and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You've not, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. You've not trusted in Christ for forgiveness for your sin. Have you ever wondered that this world might come to an end? And has it ever crossed your mind the possibility that there is a God and that he might be the one to call time on time? That Jesus Christ, the one who came 2,000 years ago in meekness, is coming again in power and in glory. And accompanying that coming is judgment. We'll all be called to account. I want to say clearly tonight that that's what the Bible teaches. Indeed, that's what this church family here believes completely. I don't think we can honestly 
read the Bible honestly and not come to that conclusion? So my question is, how do you respond to that idea? Maybe you deny it. Maybe you laugh it off. And we find that that's exactly what people were doing in Peter's day. Verse verse 3 tells us that people are scoffing, poking fun at stupid Christians for believing what they believe. What are they saying? Verse 4, where is this coming that he promised? He said he would come. Behold, I'm coming soon. You know, he said he's coming soon, but where is he? He's not turned up yet. Is he slow? Is your God delayed? Is he snail-like? Why is he not coming? And then they say, here's the, here's the echoes of naturalism way back then, ever since our ancestors. Everything goes on like it has done since the beginning of creation. Everything goes on just like it has before. And Peter says they're not just denying the teaching, they're scoffing. They're mocking. They're ridiculing. Now, if you're a Christian, can I ask you, how, do you, how does it feel to be ridiculed for your faith? Have you ever experienced that? How does it feel to be mocked for that? Maybe you're at school. Maybe you find that you're the only Christian in your class and everybody else just thinks it's hilarious. Most people are fairly polite and will keep it to themselves, but one or two are just cruel. It's hard, isn't it? Maybe even at uni, maybe at the golf club, maybe with your friends that you go out for coffee with. You know, it's funny how anywhere that we are can all of a sudden turn into a very uncomfortable and unpleasant place when people are tearing lumps out of the Lord that we love and the faith that we profess. No one likes to be made fun of. So Peter writes to encourage us, to encourage his readers back then and encourage all who would read it throughout the centuries, including us right this day, to hold on to the truth concerning the return of Christ and the cataclysmic, yes, cataclysmic D-Day return of the Lord. And so there are two points tonight based around two questions. One, how can we be sure it will come? And two, why has it not happened yet? Number one, how can we be sure it will come? Well, look with me, verse 3. Peter takes us first to Genesis 1 and the creation of the world to say, God made the world. This is, according to Peter, what mockers forget. People scoff about God because they forget this about him. Verse 5, they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. I was at the book festival yesterday in Charlotte Square browsing the children's section. That's about the level of my reading. I found a book that asked the question, how did the universe begin? The first book I came to, I was like, oh, this is going to ruin my whole experience. Never mind. So I opened it up, and I even took some photos. I'm not actually sure if you're allowed to do that, but I did that. And um, it said, how did the universe begin? Now, stop. How would you answer that question? Have you thought about that? How did the universe begin? Here's what the book said. It all started with the Big Bang. Astronomers think... Now, pause. Have you ever noticed that the likes of Brian Cox 
and others like him speak with such authority, authority over the subject that they're presenting before us. But I've never heard a man use the word probably more in a paragraph ever. Moving on, unpause. Astronomers think that nearly 14 billion years ago, the whole universe expanded incredibly fast from something incredibly small, from something smaller than the dot over an eye. And there's the scientific theory today, which, and I mentioned, his, I, I, I use the word to emphasize the words theory because it's not pure science, of course, this belief in the Big Bang. Science depends on repeatable and observable tests, and these conclusions that are drawn concerning the beginning are scientific theory, theory being, i.e., our best idea, not proven unequivocally. And if you do believe that, my question to you tonight would be, doesn't it take as much faith to believe that position as it does to believe that God created the heavens and the earth? There is no answer for where the infinitesimally small speck came from, if that's one of the views. The other view, of course, is that nothing exploded into something. There's no explanation for that. That takes faith to believe that. But the Bible's teaching that Peter points us to, and he mentioned that in verse 2, remember, he's, he wants us remembering the teaching of the Old Testament, the teaching of Jesus through the New Testament apostles. And he says, the Bible's teaching is clear he reminds us what it says, that God created the universe, and two things are vital in this whole scenario of creation, water and word. Did you notice that? Water is a very vital constituent. Genesis 1, 1 to 8 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Peter's just reading his Bible and telling us what it says. And he doesn't just point out that God made the world. He specifically draws attention to how he did it. Not with tools, not with some kind of prefab stuff that he picked up from the trade center at B&Q. He did it without any pre-existing material. He did it by speaking. Have you ever thought about that? It is amazing. I mean, I could go into my kitchen any time and just go, Lamb Rogan Josh. And it's just not going to happen. You know? I would just like to say, Olympic swimmer. And it just, you know, we just can't do these things. You know? But God demonstrates his might, his power, his sovereignty by declaring a word. <laughs> It is. It exists. And God only had to speak and the whole world, the whole universe came into being. And when God speaks, God, something powerful happens. That even he can speak into the nothingness of pre-existence 
and create. The implication, according to Peter then, based on the mockery and the jibes and the harsh treatment or the false teaching is, guard yourself, Christian, against the pseudo-scientific notion that nature is a law unto itself. By demonstrating that God created the heavens and the earth, he's already showing that God acts in mighty power. He did it at the very beginning. The laws of nature are, according to one author, the tireless whisperings of the Almighty. And if he should choose to raise his voice, cataclysm will come. Not only do we see that God made the world, Peter points out that God has judged the world before. This too is what mockers forget to their own peril. Look with me at verse 6. By these waters, so we've just heard about all this water in, in Genesis 1. By these waters also the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. Peter's talking about the flood in Genesis 6 and 7. Well documented. To people who say everything goes on just like it has before the flood says. And Peter reminds us, no it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Genesis 6 and 7 tell us that the world fell back for a time into the watery chaos of Genesis 1. If Genesis 1 was this act of creation, Genesis 6 and 7 points to an act in a sense of decreation. And if you read carefully in Genesis chapter 7 and on through 8, that the way that God addresses Noah, the things that he calls him to do, the way he calls him to act in relation to the world and in relation to the family that he has, it's strikingly similar to what God said to Adam. The reason for this cataclysmic intervention in Genesis 6 and 7 well, Genesis 6 verse 5 tells us, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness, there it is, on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And I bet there were mockers back then. Don't you think? When Noah was building the ark. Nice boat, Noah. Numpty. Five days' journey away from the sea. And how are you going to transport that thing to the sea? You are crazy. He's building the Queen Mary. Well, maybe they might not have said that. But anyway. Hey, Noah, we, uh, we made you an umbrella. They didn't think it was going to pour. But can you imagine what it was like for those mockers when the first spots of rain began to fall? What do you think they thought? What kind of things do you think that they said even to Noah and his family? Oh, here it comes, Noah. Oh, we're in trouble. Have you got room on that ship for me? Crazy man. It's speculative, of course. But imagine what it was like when the rain didn't stop for days and the ground became muddy. Imagine what it was like when the clouds didn't disperse when water started to rise, not by the centimeter, but by the meter. I, I, I don't know, I reckon there had to have been a point when the mockers thought Noah was right. But only too late. The reason why Peter tells us that God created the world and then God 
judged the world using the waters that he had created in the first instance is to remind his people, people like us, that God has stepped in with an epic judgment before. So don't believe people who keep on saying naturalism wins the, is the order of the day. Everything goes on just like it has before. Nothing bad is going to happen, so relax. Peter says, God has judged, stepped in with epic judgment before, and he'll do it again. Now, we can put up with a little mockery about the return of Christ, of course, when on that day we have a shelter in Christ. The true and better ark in whom we have safe journey to a new creation. Don't you think? Strength to endure for us comes through remembering that, yeah, everything is not going to go on just as, it, just as it has before. And even if it feels like it is a long time to us since Jesus said he would return again, we're not going to be impatient. We're going to trust his word and press on regardless. Remembering, of course, that judgment is coming. That's what we also read in verse 7. He's given his word about this. God has given his word about a future day of judgment, Peter says. And this too is what mockers forget to their own peril. Verse 7, by the same word. In other words, the same word by which he brought about creation and by the same pronouncement of judgment that he brought in Genesis 6 and 7 in this act of flood or decreation. He says, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. You'll have to come back in two weeks' time to hear more about what we think Peter means by this fire. But what we see in this passage is that rather than plunge the world back into watery chaos, which you remember God promised he would never do again. That's the whole point of the rainbow symbol. This time the judgment will be by fire. But for now, notice that this day of judgment has implications for all creation. Not just the world, but the people of the world. You, me, the person you walked past in the street on your way here tonight, the child you kissed goodnight to before you came out, everyone, people we love. Peter says that the ungodly, those who don't put their faith in Jesus Christ, will face this judgment and feel the full force of it. Now, when Peter talks about destruction of the ungodly here, he, I don't think he's talking about annihilation. The word that he uses is actually a word that is used in parallel with the notion of condemnation. It's the judgment words. And where do we find this word then that Peter refers to? Well, Scripture is replete with these words, these promises in both Old and New Testament. And as I said, verses 1 and 2 encourage us to look to those places. So for one, even just one Old Testament example, I'll show you Isaiah 39, which says, See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath, and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. That's to come. For the, Jesus himself, in Matthew 24, that was read earlier for us, 
Jesus drew the comparison himself with what it was like in the days of Noah and what it will be like when he, the Son of Man, comes at that hour that we don't expect him. It will be terrible. The New Testament apostles taught the very same. Acts 17.31 says that he, Jesus, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he is, God, sorry, will set a day when he, is judged, when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, that is Jesus. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, let me ask you, what do you think of that? What do you think of all that's been said? Do you see any evidence of God's creative power in this world? When you studied cellular biology at school or looked at the head scratching that goes on in the scientific community over the complexity of amino acids, or you look out over a breathtaking landscape, or you hold a baby in your arms for the first time. Do you think it's possible that there is a God who created all these? And that that's just as believable, if not more believable, than a big bang? If there is a God who designs the question we ought to ask is, will this God also judge? Won't he judge then by the standard of his own character? Godly. Then who will be judged? Well, just as Peter says, the ungodly. Those who are not righteous and just and good and upright and loving, and merciful, and gracious, and kind, as he is. If that's you, my encouragement for you tonight is trust in God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. For through faith, this is the promised word of God here, through faith in Jesus Christ, God gives you as a gift, a free gift, the very thing that he demands of you. Righteousness. It is ours as a gift to the point that you can never earn it. You can never repay it. it it's, it's a gift. That's the way gifts work. What do recipients of gifts have to do, though? Take it. Receive it. We receive it by turning from our sin, doing a 180. We've been heading away from God as the author of all things, the one who is authoritatively over all things. We've been living our lives apart from him, living our lives as if we are in control. The Lord calls us to do a complete 180, to turn away from our sin and our idolatry, and to believe in Jesus and follow him. And you can do that simply by believing the good news 
of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. You could do that tonight. I don't care if you don't listen to the rest of this talk. If you do that right now, it would be the right thing to do. If you are like, do you know, I've still got some questions, then I would be at the door afterwards for about 10 minutes. Grab a coffee, come and talk with me. After that, I'll be in here somewhere. I would love to talk to you about this. I'd love to point you in the direction of a couple of courses that we're running shortly called Christianity Explored and Glad You Asked. Christianity Explored, which looks at the truth of the Bible and the story of Jesus Christ through Mark's gospel. A gospel that we believe was written between 25 and 35 years after the life of Jesus Christ, after the death of Jesus Christ. Primary witness. The Glad You Ask course is a course that's designed to help people consider some of the main objections to the Christian faith. How can we trust the Bible, for example? I'd love to tell you about those things. Maybe you could talk to the person who brought you. I'm sure they would love to help you. But one thing that Peter encourages us to realize, if we do get to a point where we reject this, if we reject that God made the world, that God judged the world before, he's already intervened and he will do it again. Peter says there is an ultimate reason for that. And it's not because we're a particularly enlightened people. If we say he's not coming back, everything goes on just like it did before, it's not enlightened thought, it's sin. That's what Peter says. It's not sophistication. It's sin that's in the driving seat of unbelief. And I'd love to talk to you about that. Brothers and sisters, those who have turned, who love Jesus, unimaginably so because we have received that gift of grace and we look forward to that day when we will be, as we were singing earlier, before that higher throne, made faultless through the Lamb, before Him to stand. Can you get it? You get to stand in the presence of God because you are washed by the blood of Jesus. That is an incredible thing. We are called... According to Peter's word here, God's word through Peter, to be strengthened. How can you be sure that he's coming? Look at God's track record. Has any word or any promise of his ever fallen to the ground? Could anyone in this world stand up and say, God, you are a liar? No, because he has fully and perfectly kept his promise. Many promises, primarily concerning his son, concerning things that have already come to pass in history, but certainly the things that have yet to come, the things in the future. This is why Peter encourages us in verses 1 and 2, I hope you understand, to have our minds stirred to wholesome thinking to meditate on the truth of the Bible and take God at his word so that we'll not be unsettled or derailed by the mockery of people. Study God's word. Don't just be rocked by this kind of, oh, somebody's just said this about how can I believe that the Bible is true? I don't really know the answer. Therefore, they must be right. That is illogical. 
Have you ever thought that way? I've thought that way before. And I've been useless in my, even, my thoughtfulness to even get to a point where I say, well, actually, what I need to do is really understand what the truth of the Bible, what, what I can understand about the subject concerning the truth of the Bible so that I've got an answer to, to give this person in their mockery. We can say that about a ton of different subjects where people have objections. Study God's Word. Dig deep. Ask us questions about the kind of things that might be useful to read in particular subjects. We would be so glad to serve you in that way. Somebody actually sent us an email this week saying, okay, I've got a question for you. It was about 20, but that's okay. I haven't got around to answering the email, by the way, wherever you are, uh, but I will. But there was a whole list of things. Say, what is, you know, what's the best thing to read on this and on this and on that and on this? Oh, while we're on it, and what's, what about that? We love that. Study God's word and let the fulfillment of a thousand promises stir confidence in you and be assured that if the powerful return of Jesus Christ is promised, particularly from his own lips, it will happen. We'll get to what it means to be ready for it. We'll get to what it means in terms of implications for our own personal holiness and for missional living. But we'll get to that next time. Let's bow our heads and let's pray.